Well, good morning, everybody. If you have been with us for the last or so weeks, you will know that we have been working through this idea of the next chapter. That God has a next chapter in store for each of us. Yet rather than me trying to pretend like I know what that next chapter is for you, the approach we've been taking through this last teaching series has been embracing what God is about to do. It's about adopting a posture of being ready for whatever it is that God has in store for us. And we have been going through various biblical characters to see when God brings them to these sort of crisis points, these catalyst points, these moments of decision where they're about to step into their next chapter. And we've been learning alongside these biblical characters from their life stories, from their testimony in in many ways. And so this morning we have one last character in the Bible that we're going to look at. And Before we get there, I just want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. If you're using the Holy Black Pew Bible, uh, that is page 947. If you have any other Bible, you are on your own. Our call to worship at the very beginning of our service came from the same chapter. But I want to invite you to follow along and if there's any way to allow what might be a familiar text to not just be a familiar text to you, if there's a way to allow it to hit you in a new way, to, to adopt a posture even now saying, Lord, I want something from You. I want to hear from You this morning. I invite you to follow along as I read three short verses. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is the Word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, as we approach Your Word this morning, we desperately want to hear from You. We recognize that You are the source of all wisdom. You are the source of all truth. And this morning, as a continuing act of worship, we turn our attention to Your Word and choose to submit our lives to Your Word and to Your will. We know that worship is more than just singing. We love that worship is singing. But we recognize worship is all of life lived in a posture of submission and obedience to You. And so even now as we approach Your Word, may it reign over us because You reign over us. So break down whatever walls and whatever pride and whatever issues we might have that we're throwing up saying You're not the boss of me because You are the boss of me. Take Your rightful place on the throne of our lives this morning as we look at Your Word in Christ's name. Amen. Today's biblical character. Did you catch it in our text? Who is the biblical character we're looking at today? It's you. It's me. It's us. Wait a minute, we're not 2,000 years old. No, but the idea of us is. When you look at a text like this, you realize that 
God's action in the world did not stop with the closing of the canon of Scripture. That God is alive and He is active and He is continuing to call you and me into His kingdom purposes. And in that way, you and I have been written right into the story of what God has been doing throughout all of Scripture. If we go back to the text this morning, you can see, for it is by grace that you have been saved. Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. And that you have been saved is not just to the church in Ephesus, but it's to anyone and all of us who have been saved by grace through faith. It is an expansive concept where we find our lives written right into, with continuity, right into the story of Scripture. For we are God's handiwork, He continues. We, you, and I, as well as the church at Ephesus, as well as Paul himself. It is this beautiful, all-encompassing, inclusive statement that says for all those who have put their faith in Christ, we are God's handiwork. And so when I talk about today's biblical character and how we're going to try and learn alongside the Scriptures again, today's biblical character is you. And what we're going to see from this particular biblical character is that your next chapter is here. Your next chapter is here. So let's start with this first part. Your next chapter. What do I mean when I'm saying your next chapter? What is this next chapter you speak of? Because you've been speaking of it for eight weeks. And you keep just hinting at it or assuming that we'll figure it out on our own. What is the next chapter? Finally, are you going to tell us or are you just going to close the series and leave it hanging? Bit of both. But in the text, we find that Paul is writing and saying, we are God's handiwork. And that, that handiwork word, personal faith, I love that word. You've heard me say it before, we are God's masterpieces. Or maybe you've heard me say we are God's uh, precious creation. There's a number of different ways to express it. If we go all Greek on it, the word is poema which is the word from which we derive the English word poem. We are the poetry of God. God has created us to express His beauty and His glory and His character in the world. We are the poetry of God. And so if you get that framework in mind for what Paul is trying to say to God's people here in Ephesus and to you and I right here this morning, if we are the poetry of God, we have been written, our lives have been created to to reflect authorial intent, to reflect the character and the goodness and the beauty of who God is, then the rest of this text suddenly makes a lot of sense. We are the poetry of God. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works. We have a job to do as His poetry. We are to communicate. We are to express. We are to reflect. We are to do good works. Works. The faith that we profess is not merely an idea. It is not intellectual assent to the truth of the Gospel. It is that, but it is so much more. It is a life lived in practical, concrete ways where every aspect of our life is brought under the Lordship of Jesus so that we might do good works. And in so doing, 
we step into being the poetry of God. We reflect His character. We reflect His nature. We are called, it created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And God even prepared them in advance. Right? He already wrote the book. This next chapter we keep talking about. All we're talking about doing is turning the page and say, what do you have for us in the next chapter, God? And we rub our hands with glee. Now, when we start talking about good works in the church, people get nervous. Good works. Wait, I thought it was by grace we've been saved. Didn't Paul just write that? What's all this emphasis on good works? We're certainly not saved by good works. And I hope you picked up on that. Because it's true. We are not saved by good works. And just to put it out there, let's just be clear. When we're talking about good, when we're talking, when Paul's talking about good works, who cares what we're talking about? When Paul's talking about good works, he's talking about good works as a response to the saving grace of God. But so often we get confused, even after we've been in the church for a bajillion years. And we begin to slide into this, this misunderstanding that somehow that works are the basis for which we are saved. Uh, I had an electrician a couple years ago, and of course we get talking about Jesus because invariably I've, I've got the automatic in, right? So what do you do? Well, I'm a pastor. Oh, that's great. No, I'm really big on religion, he says. I'm like, really? He goes, yeah, I love religion. I mean, they're all kind of the same, right? You just try and be a good person and, you get, and hope you get into heaven. And in that moment, you've got the choice. Nod and smile and hope that he finishes the job. Or you say, actually, that's completely wrong. That's a, in fact, it's the complete opposite of everything that Jesus stands for. It is not try to be a good person and hope you get into heaven. It is to admit that there is nothing good in us and to fall at the foot of the cross and to embrace the forgiveness that Jesus offers. We cannot earn the favor of God. Which is why it's so great that He freely gives it. And so we see that good works, lest we fall into that same trap of try and be a good person and you go to heaven, that language should make you want to throw up in your mouth. Instead, that is not the basis for being saved, but it is the response. Right? We want to get rid of this. Cross that off. When we look back at the text, we see that yes, we are God's handiwork. We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works. But the good works, it's very clear in the lines leading up to it, it is by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift, not by works that no one can boast. It's not about us and our good works. There's nothing there that gets us in. It's Jesus who gets us in. So even this morning, as we're talking about your next chapter, and I'm saying your next chapter is to do good. It's to actually do good. Not just to think good thoughts. Not just to send positive vibrations towards people. It is to get off your backside and do good. And this, not, not as a prerequisite for earning God's favor. Not as I've got to reach some sort of bar in order to get into heaven. But it is a response to all of what Christ has done for us. It is the result of a clear understanding of your, your salvation. Jesus saved me, therefore I will in response, as a result, do good works. Uh, another biblical image is that it is fruit. When your faith has matured and you see 
the tree that grows eventually bears fruit when it reaches maturity. That a mature faith bears the fruit of good works. Or even, there's the language that there is evidence of genuine faith when you see good works flowing out of your life. That the Gospel is not information alone, it is also transformation. Okay, enough about good works. Good works, good works, good works. What do we mean when we say good works? It's just this. It's being a part of what God's doing in the world. That's what defines good. It is not just rampant and amorphous social justice. It is sourcing our works in what God is doing and coming alongside what He is doing, which in many cases involves social justice, but the, the heart behind it, the motivation behind it, the, the root of all good work is what God is doing in the world and us partnering with Him. So when I say that your next chapter is here, this is what I'm saying. You, as the character in the Scriptures, you're the one we're going to learn from this morning. And the invitation is for all of us to engage. To jump in with both feet. To say, God, I, I want to be part of Your kingdom purposes in this world. Let's go. God says jump. I say how high? On the way up. I want to be part of what God is doing in the world. Your next chapter is to do good. Now, when we continue with that statement, your next chapter, there's also these words which are pretty vague and undefined. Your next chapter is here. There's a couple different ways you could even see that. What do you mean by this, Tim? Well, one of what thing I mean is your next chapter is now. Like it's here. It's arrived. The time has come for your next chapter. I took it easy on you for seven weeks. I kept saying at some point, the Lord's going to say it's time. At some point in the future, God's equipping you and getting you ready. And now this morning, I'm done being nice. I'm saying the time is now. The time is now to step in to a new chapter of what God might be doing in your life and through your life. There is a sense of urgency to the Gospel. And this is not sit back and say, well, I just don't feel like I'm ready yet. The question that this begs is what's stopping you from diving in? And if you're paying attention, you're saying, well, actually, Tim, haven't we kind of been talking about this for eight weeks? What's stopping you? Well, you know, I'm, I'm too old. I'm kind of tired. I've been a Christian my whole life. I've just retired, so I'm just going to play shuffleboard and move to Florida. Right, so we know that that's not the way that works. That you are never too old to be part of God's kingdom purposes. But you might be here saying, I'm too young. I'm too inexperienced. I, I, I haven't been a Christian long enough for God to use me. And we say, well, you know, the biblical example there also defeats that objection. Or you say, well, I, I really don't have anything to bring. I, I don't do the talk good with the words and I'm just not, I'm not able. I'm too insecure. Oh, right. We studied that too. We saw that our insecurity is no match for God's purposes. And then you say, well, you don't know how I've been hurt. You don't know what's happened to me. You don't know my story. And we said, well, actually, the Bible is filled with people who have been wounded. And this is not to be callous towards the wounding. It is to be saying not even our wounds can keep us from God's beautiful purposes for our lives. 
And we might say, yeah, but nobody's paid any attention to me. No one's really singled me out to say I'm the one who should be God's agent of change in the world. And you say, right, because neither was David. He was left in the field tending sheep. He wasn't even invited. Or maybe you're saying, yeah, but you don't know my past. I was a tax collector. And you say, you know, God can transform your past. Or maybe you say, yeah, but you don't know. I've just been going full bore, but I've been going the wrong direction. And we saw even then. You see what we had, where we've been for these last eight weeks? What possible objection can you bring that God hasn't given us clear examples in Scripture that there's nothing that can stand in His way of using you for His purposes? Maybe you've seen the, the, the classic youth group poster. Do you seriously think God can't use you? Show of hands, how many have seen it? Okay. How new? <laughs> what follows is just a list. Noah was a drunk. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Leah was ugly. Joseph was abused. Moses had a stuttering problem. Gideon was afraid. Samson had long hair and was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy, they were too young. David had an affair and was a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep while praying. Martha worried about everything. The Samaritan woman was divorced. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious. Timothy had an ulcer. And Lazarus was dead. <laughs> and so I ask you, what's stopping you? What is it that you think disqualifies you? from being seen by God, known by God, and invited by God to be part of what He's doing in the world. That's what I mean when I say your next chapter is here. It's now. Maybe this is the moment. Maybe you've been sort of sitting on the back burner saying, well, I like going to church on Sunday mornings, but... But what? <laughs> I want you to finish that sentence and I dare you to hold it up against the list. But what? God has so much in store for you. And sometimes it takes the awareness that maybe He's calling you right now to take that step into the next chapter. Your next chapter just might be happening right now. But I think there's another nuance to that phrase, your next chapter is here that is worth exploring as well. It's not just a temporal reality, like it's finally here! Yay! As much as it can also be like a, a almost a spatial reality. Your next chapter is like, there. Like X marks the spot. Like When we're saying it is time to do good works, when we're saying we want to be a part of what God is doing in the world, well, where are we supposed to be doing that? Where is here after all? And so for that, we would flip to Galatians chapter 9. And in this text, we find another reference to this whole doing good. Let us not become weary in doing good. So we have the same theme being developed by the same author. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. In the very next verse, we find these words. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people especially to those who belong to the family of believers. 
especially to those who belong to the family of believers. I think we miss this sometimes. Because I think there are all kinds of sermons, many of which I have preached, that say what we need to do is get out there and serve and love in Jesus' name so an unbelieving world will see our good deeds and glorify God on the day He comes. And that's not wrong. But there is an emphasis and a priority that God places on His church. The church. Like capital C church. The family of believers. That there is to be a priority in doing good right here. Among us. Now does that mean we neglect the unbelieving world? That's not what I'm saying. Don't take me too far. But don't throw the sort of baby out with bathwater stuff. When there is clear evidence in the Scriptures that the church has just this, this incredible place in God's heart. Right? It is the church, we see it back in the book of Ephesians, that was to demonstrate the manifold wisdom of God. That God's own wisdom is to be on display by the way we interact as a church. You know, even Jesus in John chapter 13 says, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. That's the church. That's the family of believers that an unbelieving world doesn't only see what we're doing out there among them. They also see the way we interact together. And they look in and they say, how do I get in on that? Look at the way they love one another. Look at the good they're doing within their community. Look at the way they, they care for one another and they support one another and they encourage one another and they admonish one another. And all the good and the hard about biblical community. And when we embrace it, and when we prioritize it, that's the kind of thing that spills out into an unbelieving world. And I think that's the concept that the Bible teaches that doesn't use the word overflow, but I'm convinced it's there. Which means when the church is fully being the church, it spills out into the unbelieving world. And the unbelieving world like, gets it all over it. It's like, what's this church doing all over me? It's the good that comes from being so filled up together in who Jesus is and what He's done for us. That the overflow impacts the unbelieving world around us. And when we forget that, and when we try and just do ministry out there, out there, out there, and inside here, we don't have the same kind of investment, you'll find pretty soon that our legs have been cut out from under us. We'll become sort of a cut flower church that, that, that goes out there with all these pretty flowers that attracts people to the Gospel, but we don't have the roots to support it and to sustain it. And so those flowers will wither. Our efforts, we will dry up. We will run out unless together we are pursuing the love and grace of God and doing good, especially among the family of believers. It's the church. The big old capital C, church historical, church universal, church global, the family of believers. Not just community church. It is the capital C church. But it is also little c church. It is also community church. And I would propose to you that maybe even this morning, the Lord might be inviting you to say, well, what does it look like for my next chapter to be here? For my next chapter, what an incredible place 
this is. To take a step of faith. To, to take a risk. And to say, what if I get involved more than I am? What if I go beyond attending on a Sunday morning? What if I put myself out there relationally? What if I try to do good, especially among the family of believers? What does it look like to do good here at Community Church? And if you've been around here forever or not, you might be aware that our vision here is to be making disciples for the glory of Christ and the good of the city. This whole making disciples thing, kind of a big deal for us. We want to make learners of Jesus, those who walk with Jesus, those who have learned to talk to Jesus, to listen to what Jesus has to say, and to gradually but definitively bring every part of our lives under His Lordship for His glory. So another way of, of saying we want to be making disciples for the glory of Christ and the good of the city is that we want every person at Community Church in an intentional relationship focused on growing closer to Jesus. And so I ask you, in what way are you a part of what the church... Look, why do we do this, people? Why do we gather Sunday and Sunday out? And why are we... Hey, we sing some songs and we hear some guy ramble on for like 38 minutes and... Why do you do this? Why do you put yourself through this? Because there's a much bigger game at play here. Like when you think of what this church exists for, I'm not going to deny the Sunday morning's a part of it. The people of God need to gather. This is one of the distinctive things about being the church is that we gather. It's actually the root of the word for the church is the gathering, the assembling. When God's people come together and we exalt the name of Jesus. That's huge. And that's part of our discipleship. It's part of submitting our lives to His Word. Even as I was praying to start off this morning, Lord, shape us. We submit to Your Word. This is all part of growing in Christ-likeness. So Sunday morning is huge. We worship. Our children are learning about Jesus. Our nursery, they're getting a first point of contact with Jesus. And they don't understand it, but they're loved. And church is a safe place in this world. And that's a first touch of Jesus. Sunday mornings matter. you know how many people it takes to pull off a Sunday morning? Again, with my very clear statistical analysis, it takes about 30 people to pull off Sunday morning. It takes a lot of people. I've heard numbers ranging from 25 to 38, depending on whether we've got the full Sunday school program running, and depending on whether the harbor's running, and depending on what size the worship team is, and who's clicking, and who's greeting, and who's... This isn't just a show. This is a chance to be a part of what God is doing and shaping a generation for His glory. How might you... Maybe that's where God's calling you into a next chapter. Maybe He's saying, I think it's the nursery. And yes, that's actually something to be excited about. Or maybe it's Sunday school. Maybe it's worship team. Maybe it's VBS, a guitarist or a drumist. <laughs> Sorry, Trish. I love that. <laughs> but you've got to know, church is not just Sunday morning. We say this over and over again. We do our announcements to tell you, church is all of life. 
Being the people of God. Being people who worship. Worship is all of life. So there's other ways to be involved than just Sunday morning. Just the, the worship service itself. You can join a ministry team. You can be there with Rachel or, or not with Rachel, depending on which month it is that you are serving at the open door. You can be part of Youth Center, which is not Sunday morning, but boy, youth are a thing. And that's all I'm going to say about that. There are options for this. You could, you could be part of a small group. Right? A, a chance to gather with 10 to 12 other people for the intentional purpose of focusing on Jesus and challenging one another to grow. Maybe the Lord is saying, you know, I've been sitting in church for far too long and I don't even know anyone's name. Maybe it's time for me to join a small group. Oh no. You're going to have to like let people get to know you. You're going to have to get to know others. That's inconvenient. You're going to have to maybe hang out with people you wouldn't choose to hang out with. You don't get to choose your family. This is family. It's worth getting to know them for the glory of Christ. Or maybe it's even something far more personal, like a one-on-one discipleship relationship. Meeting before work on Tuesdays just to pray with someone and to say, hold me up because my workplace is dark and I need someone to cover me in prayer as I go in every day. In what way are you a part of what the church is doing? This is discipleship. We throw in, what a Christianese word, right? Discipleship. This is what it comes down to. Here's what the church formally does to encourage discipleship. We do Sunday mornings. We have ministry teams. We encourage you to be part of a small group or to be in a one-on-one or like a triad, some sort of discipleship relationship. And that's just the formal stuff, right? And then there's all the weird stuff that happens in and around that, which is, you know, someone has a baby, so you're making meals. Or someone's moving to a new apartment, so you get a truck and off you go. Even if you have to borrow someone else's truck so that you can go and help, you do it. Someone's in crisis, so you meet that need. Someone's in the hospital, so you visit. What does it take? Someone is just going through a hard time and they just need someone to be present with them and to shut up and listen. When I think of what the church is supposed to be, the the best sort of metaphor or analogy I can come up with is a greenhouse. The church doesn't exist just for the church's own sake. Self-perpetuation is not the goal. I believe the goal of the church is to be making disciples. In the same way that the the greenhouse is a structure that creates the perfect environmental conditions in which growth can happen. The glass has to be transparent just the right, allow sunlight through, but not the cold and the wind. And there's got to be adequate water and nutrients and fertilizer. You've got to be able to cultivate growth. The church is a greenhouse. We do Sunday mornings. We do small groups. We do discipleship. All this stuff. That's all the greenhouse. That's all the structure. Why do we do all that nonsense? So that you will grow in your relationship with Jesus. And if you are growing, and if your life is being transformed, and you are doing good, especially among the family of believers, then this church is going to overflow into an unbelieving world and get all over them. And sometimes they'll be like, ew, get it off. And sometimes they'll say, what's going on over there? Because there's something going on in that community that makes no sense to me, but I want in. So when I, I'm sitting here, I'm throwing church structures, I'm throwing almost bar charts on the screen, and you're saying, oh, what is he talking about? All I'm saying is, let's build a greenhouse together. In what way are you a part of building our greenhouse? 
How are you part of shaping this environment? And some of you are burning out here. Some of you are on three ministry teams. You're in two small groups. You're playing on a worship team. And I'm not speaking to anybody in particular. But some of you can do the math. I might not be talking to you. Some of you have been coming to this church for a while. And you love it. It's great. It's encouraging on a Sunday morning to come. Might God be saying, it's time to consider what that next chapter might be. It's time to consider if the Lord is not calling you saying, I'm not even saying tomorrow. I'm saying, what if you took the summer to prayerfully lift up before the Lord, what does it mean to be part of a church, not just to attend one? What does it mean to be part of the family of believers? What does it mean to use your gifts, to use your story, your unique voice, your experiences, your age and wisdom, or your youthfulness and energy? What if you take all of who God has made you to be and just put that all before the Lord this summer and say, where do you, this fall, Lord, I'm going to take a new step. Where are we going? And sometimes the Lord's really, really clear and he says, the nursery. And you say, thank you, Lord. And sometimes he says, go to the land, I'll show you. And you're like, yeah, but you haven't shown me. And God goes, I know that's the point. And you just have to take a step to say, you know what? Maybe I'll just drop an email to the church and say, I want the next chapter and I have no idea what it is. And in which case, any one of us with these lovely white name tags that represent the leadership team, I was going to steal Corey's, but then he showed up. We would love a chance to sit down with you and just to talk about who's God made you to be. What experiences has He brought you through? What equipping has He brought you through? Even potentially what wounding has He brought you through? In what ways has God been preparing you for the next chapter? That you might do good, especially among the family of believers. So you see what I mean when I say today's Bible character? It's you! Your next chapter is here. Which means it's right now. This could be the moment where God is finally saying, okay, it's time. I've been getting you ready. And now comes the risk. Put yourself out there. Drop an email to info at eastgloucester.org. And maybe it's you saying, well, I don't even know, how would I, where, would I even, where would I even start? And the answer might even just be right here. A community church. Building a greenhouse together where people are growing and becoming disciples of Jesus for His glory. And that might overflow for the good of the unbelieving world in which He's placed us. Maybe that's the next chapter. Take it to the Lord. Let's see what He might do in you. Can you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I feel like it's been kind of a fun ride over these last eight weeks together. I've actually really enjoyed looking at all of these different examples of the people in Scripture that we think of as heroes of the faith and then we realize, wow, they were really broken and messed up too, just like us. Thank You for the encouragement. Thank You that Your Word is so real. That it's not just propaganda that hides over and glosses over 
ineptness or inadequacy or failure or sin, but it's all right there on display. But even better than all that being on display is that your grace is on display even more. That story after story, character after character, person after person throughout Scripture, we see failure and brokenness and we see your forgiveness, grace, and the victory of Jesus at the cross. We thank You that we don't have to somehow earn our way into Your good graces. We thank You that life with You is a free gift. We also do see that there is a call in Your Word that there should be an overflow of that gift. There should be a result, a response. There should be evidence of fruit in our lives. And so this morning, we want to be a people who will accept that challenge. We want to be a people who are growing towards maturity and we want to see that evidence in our lives. And yet you know the different story of each person here. You know that, that there are no two stories that are the same. So we're not going to stand up here and say, here's the funnel into which all people have to go through and crank widgets and come out a community church person. We delight that you are so specific and you see each of us in our own uniqueness in our story. God, I simply ask by the power of Your Holy Spirit and with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, resurrect our hearts and our lives from whatever obstacles are weighing us down and keeping us in the grave. We believe You are a God of resurrection. Whatever our objections are or whatever death seems to dwell in us that keeps us immobilized, sidelined, passive, renew us. God, with the hope that comes from being seen by You, being loved by You, being forgiven by You, and being invited by You into Your glorious kingdom purposes. The church would not be a place we attend. The church is the family in which we, we do good so that it might overflow into an unbelieving world that desperately needs You. We love You, Lord Jesus. Run rampant in this place, we ask.